You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to uh, go over these verses here, uh, verse 27 through 50. Um, with the time that we have, we're not going to dig too, too deep into uh, every aspect of this passage. Uh, but we are going to focus in on, on a few things here and, and try to dig as deep into those things as we can. So we've been going through this Christmas series, and, and here obviously comes the end of this series. And we've been asking, what child is this? Who, who is the Christ that was born there in Bethlehem? And, and we talked about how we can grasp on to just certain aspects of him, certain things that we like best, and, and hold on to that as, as being Christ. But we've gone through that he is not just the baby born in a manger, born of a virgin, that he's not only just a teacher on the hillside, that he's not just the healer, he's not even just a great prophet. But we've seen as we've gone through this series that he is the very God. He is the righteous king. He is the one who, who makes the Father known. He's the long-promised Messiah, descendant of Abraham and King David. And he is worthy of our worship and of the surrender of our lives. He is God and Lord of all. So now as we come to this series after Christmas and just before we go into a new year, I thought that this last aspect of who Jesus is would be most appropriate for this time as we think of the fact that Jesus is light. And we see that here in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the light that came into the world, and there are implications to that. And so we want to think about those implications. And so as we do, let me ask this, going into a new year, does anybody have any New Year's resolutions? Anybody at all? Common, right? I told Suzanne, you got one? All right, that's good. I told Suzanne recently uh, that I was going to start eating better. I mean, not, not yet. Uh, next year, I'm going to start eating better when we get there. I mean, there's still a lot of cookies to eat, and I still think I have a ring of kibasi in the fridge, too. So, uh, But I'm going to eventually start eating better. That's, that's the goal. No, but all truth, we, many make resolutions to, to lose weight, uh, to get in better shape, to travel and I think any of us are thinking, yeah, I want to travel more than I did in 2020, right? Uh, but we want to read more, spend more time with family, uh, be better organized, maybe make a budget and stick to it. We have all these things that we want to do, these resolutions we want to make and try to keep. But for how many of us have we made the resolution to be more holy, to be more like Christ, to be pleasing to God here as we go into a new year. Because as we come out of an old year and into a new, it is only wise, I think, for us to reflect on how we failed. We don't want to think that way. That, that's a thought that's uncomfortable for us. We, we'd rather think of things that make us feel better about ourselves. But sometimes it's important to have those more uncomfortable thoughts to think about how we failed, how we have not been as holy as God has called us to be. 
But if that's all we do at the same time is just think about how we failed, (laughs) we're going to fall into despair. So even while we think about how we have not been holy as we should, how we have sinned, we also then also need to reflect on the gospel. We need to reflect on the fact that we have not been good enough and we cannot be good enough. And so the good news is that Jesus was good enough for us. That we deserve to pay for our sin. But the good news is Jesus paid for our sin for us. If we are trusting in him and in him alone for our salvation. That by his grace he has come and he has paid for our sin and his death. And with great power he has risen again to give us life. So let us not forget the gospel. Because the gospel is what rescues us from our despair. But really, as we think about the gospel, the only proper response then is to seek God. To let the love of God in Christ prompt us all the more to seek after him, to know him more, to ask him for strength, that we would live in response to this great gospel, that we live to show that we know that he is our Lord, and that we show our gratitude for such love that he has shown to us. That we would spend time in his word, applying his word to us. And so all the more strive to live this life that he has given us for his honor and his glory. Because see, as we'll see in our text here, again, Jesus is light. And if we believe in him who is light, then we cannot remain in darkness. Believing in him demands doing something with our sin because he has done something with our sin. He has dealt with our sin And so therefore, we too must do something with our sin. And it's not to coddle our sin. It's certainly not to love our sin. But to seek to do away with our sin, to forsake it, to hate it, as we love him who so loved us. And so desire to please him in every way. And so as we turn to John, we should recognize, as we we did two weeks ago when we were last in John for this series, That the whole purpose in John writing his gospel and telling us about Jesus' life was so that his readers may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. That we would have life. And and as it says, having life in his name, uh, that is to have life in who Jesus is, in his very nature, his very character, his very person. And so as we ask, who is Jesus? This child, who is the Christ? Looking here at John is very appropriate for us. And as John so presents this, these aspects of Christ's life, the specific things that he chose to write about and tell us about, so that we would know who he is, believe in him, and have life in his name, it is very obvious then that John presents different things about Jesus' life in his gospel so that we would believe certain things about Jesus. Because there are absolute truths that are essential for us to know and believe if we are going to truly have life in his name. We need to know who he is. We need to know how scripture has revealed him to us so that we can believe in him, believe that he is certainly the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in him. And so the aspect that we look at of who he is today is, again, that he is light. And so let's, let's go to our text here for this morning. John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 27. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had, excuse me, the crowd that heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a command, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So we see at the beginning of this passage that we've read that Jesus starts off making this announcement that he is, he is troubled in his soul. And in verse 23, he reveals that his time had come, which is why he's troubled. And his time is referring to when he would offer himself as the last and ultimate sacrifice on behalf of sinners who would trust in him that all who will trust in him alone for salvation would be saved through his life, death, and resurrection. And yes, he was distressed. And sometimes that might be confusing for us. I mean, he's, he's God, right? Why is he distressed? Well, because he came as a man, and he is fully man, though he is, his divinity was not diminished at all in coming as a man, yet he, again, is still fully man. And so there, in his humanity, 
knows his hour has come to face the infinite wrath of God. Uh, I think if there wasn't any kind of emotional response and, and any kind of understanding of, of fear in knowing he was facing the wrath of God, uh, I think we would question his humanity. But I think this shows it all the more that he was truly man, though at the same time fully God. And so the time had come when he was about to take on the punishment for sin in the place of sinners who would trust in him. Because see, he came into the world humbling himself in full submission to the Father to come and do the will of the Father, which was to offer himself for sinners. And so he prays for the Father to glorify his name, meaning the Father glorify the Father's name. And so in this context, Jesus would be looking for the Father to glorify himself through Jesus' death. And the response comes from the Father. The Father says that he has already glorified his name and that he would do it again. And indeed, the Father had already glorified his name through Jesus' life lived as Jesus lived in full obedience to the Father, that Jesus alone, in of himself, is pleasing to the Father. Mankind, including you and I, in of ourselves, have only earned the Father's displeasure, have only earned his anger and wrath, his disapproval. But Jesus came as our representative for all who would trust in him, and he won the Father's approval for us in the life he lived. He is our righteousness, having glorified the Father by his perfect obedience. And he would continue to glorify the Father, that through his death, the Father would be glorified. Now, this time when the Father spoke to Christ, it was in this audible voice, for even the crowd there to hear. But again, this crowd is clearly, as John has revealed in this text, are unbelievers. And an unbeliever hearing from God just cannot understand. They do not recognize what they hear. And so some said it was thunder. Others, recognizing it was a voice, said an angel spoke to him. And again, clearly this was in response to Jesus' prayer. So in context, this was a voice from God answering his prayer. And Jesus says, this, this was not for me. Jesus said, this wasn't for my benefit, it was for your benefit. Jesus didn't need God to respond in an audible voice to know that God was going to answer his prayer. Jesus came to do the Father's will. He knew the Father's will. He knew what he was asking was the Father's will, so he knew his prayer would be answered. Now, the voice came as a witness to the crowd that was there. And I would even argue it came for the disciples, too, to strengthen them in their faith, to know that the Father answered Jesus' prayer. And then from the glory that his death would bring, Jesus turns to talk about the judgment that his death would bring. Though his death would seem to be the victory for the world, the victory of all those who rejected Jesus... It was actually the sealing of their judgment. Christ is really the victor, even in his death. Even in his death, his enemies are defeated, including the dark ruler of this dark world. 
Satan is cast out. And here, he is cast out in the sense that his realm of rule is rendered powerless. Now, the day is coming when Satan will altogether be cast out. And we will know his defeat as he is already a defeated enemy. In verse 32, it says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Being lifted up here describes how he would die by crucifixion. And by his crucifixion, he would draw all people to himself. Now, I think we have to ask, what does it mean by all people? Does it mean all people without exception? Uh, If we understand it that way, I think we run into some problems. Because to say all people without exception will be drawn to him would mean all people would be saved. And that contradicts what Jesus has already said about judgment here in this passage. Contradicts uh, other verses in John's gospel. A verse that we'll read soon about being already under condemnation. And if this were to teach that all people were saved, that would be in contradiction to all of Scripture. That teaches against universalism. No, but in the context, it cannot be meaning all people without exception. But in the context, it must mean all people without distinction. That it doesn't matter anything about anyone. It doesn't matter what their background is, whether they are male or female, what their ethnicity is, or what their social status is. Nothing about them matters. Christ did not come just to draw one kind of people to himself. Christ did not just come to die and give himself for a certain people, but for all people of the world. That no matter anything about them, they would come to Christ. All barriers are taken down. Because when we come to Christ, it is not anything about us that matters. When we come to Christ, all that matters is Christ. It is Christ who is our representative. It is Christ who saves us. It is in Christ we have a right standing before God. It was Christ who was raised up to be the sacrifice in place of sinners. Now, though as he references his crucifixion, a crucified Messiah did not compute in the minds of the Jews of his day. The focus of their understanding was that Messiah would reign and have an eternal kingdom. So if that's the case, how could he be crucified? He he is a a winning and conquering Messiah. How, How could he be a defeated, crucified Messiah? Now, we know his eternal reign is true and will be established in his second coming on this earth. But of his first coming, he came to die. He came to deal with sin. And so his first coming, and therefore what we celebrate at Christmas, and so Christmas is really about the cross. We've talked about that before. If we leave the cross out of Christmas, we, we miss the point of Christmas. He came the first time to offer himself to deal with our sin. But again... The Jews were just looking for a Messiah to reign and to rule, to bring them victory. And you see here a reference to the title Son of Man, uh, which has its origin in Daniel chapter 7. And it's a messianic title. 
And so they were looking for this reigning, conquering Messiah, not a crucified one. And so it raised the question for them as we see at the end of verse 34, who is this son of man? Just kind of similar to our question that we're asking for the sermon series, right? What child is this? Who, who is this? As we seek to understand all the aspects of Christ. But John, McCor- Car- John MacArthur points out, he says, this question could be understood as asking what kind of son of man is this? Or what kind of Messiah is this? What, what kind of Messiah is going to be crucified? That, that's not the Messiah we're looking for. But really, the question is answered in the very life that Jesus lived. That's why John could record Jesus' life for us so that we would believe that he is the Christ. The answer was in Jesus himself. He is that kind of Messiah that came first to deal with sin, but would come again to rule and to reign. But they were blind to this. They they could not see They could not see even from their scriptures that that not only did their scriptures testify to Messiah's eternal reign, but it did also testify to his death for sin. But if Jesus was to be a crucified Messiah, well, then Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that they wanted. So when they asked, what, what kind of Messiah is the Son of Man? What kind of... Jesus wasn't going to get into a debate with them. Instead, Jesus gives them a warning. We see that in verse 35. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. Light and darkness are are common themes, major themes in John's gospel. And Jesus is the light that came into the world. And we saw that two weeks ago when we looked at the introduction to John. In John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The contrast of light and darkness in Scripture is often the contrast between what is holy and righteous with what is evil and sinful. Specifically in John's Gospel, this contrast shows light as being what is true, or even itself being truth, and darkness being error and sin. We see Jesus in chapter 8, verse 12, said this about himself, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow him, we will have the light of life. Just as, again, in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus is life, and that life is the light of men. You can't separate life from life. The light is the life. They go together. The light, this truth and holiness shines in the darkness of the world. The darkness of the world that we sing about in the Christmas carol. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. That is the darkness that the light has come into. And God as light is really a teaching that is steeped in the Old Testament. Just as two 
the light of the Messiah coming was also steeped in the Old Testament. And so it can only be understood that Jesus, the Messiah, God the Son, would be light. So again, Jesus said in verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. He who is the light was only with them for a little while and was going to soon depart. Having satisfied the justice of God for sinners who would trust in him, by his death and his resurrection proving that he satisfied God's wrath, he would then ascend back to the Father in glory. So while the light was still there, before he would ascend to the Father, he warned them to walk while you have the light. Have you ever gone into a a pitch dark room? Or maybe even a storage area? And that it was so dark that it really made no difference if your eyes were opened or shut? And so you got to like, you know, feel your way through and you got to go real slow. And even no matter how careful you're trying to be, you're bound to stub your toe. It's always your pinky toe too, so make sure you wear shoes in the dark. But you always, you're bound to bash your knee into something or walk into something, no matter how cautious you're being, no matter how slow you're going. But what? Turn on the light, man, you can get through that room lickety-split, right? There's no problem when there's a light. And I think that's the point Jesus is getting at. It's easier to travel, it's easier to walk when you have light. But when you don't have light, you can be overcome by the dark. And so they were to believe in him while he was there. Because when he was gone, it would be much harder and they would be overcome by the darkness. See, if they rejected the light, they would not know where they were going. And they'd have no other choice but to try and make their own way, to try and establish their own righteousness, which is impossible But for anyone who believes, they will become sons of light. That they will no longer remain in darkness, for they are no longer of the darkness, no longer entangled and enslaved in their sin, no longer led astray by error. But they come into the light and they leave their darkness behind. No longer stumbling in the darkness, but living by the light. For now, those who believe in Jesus are of the light. And so let me ask you, my friends, are you of the light? Or do you continue to stumble around in darkness? Are you trying to make your own way to God? By your own good works, to establish your own righteousness, that you are a good person in of yourself? Or have you rejected your sin and rejected such error? Has the light revealed what your sin is? An infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. And so earning for yourself an infinite wrath. Has the light revealed what your sin is, that you can no longer make excuses for your sin? And explain it away that you might keep living in it, or has the light exposed it in such a way that now you seek to kill your sin, that you repent of your sin? Does the light show that there is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Do you see the glorious Christ for who he is? Do you have his light, his truth in your life? And if you say you do, what is the evidence that you do? 
Have you left your darkness behind to walk in the light? And then in verse, verses 37 to 41, we see the crowd had not left their darkness behind. And Jesus retreats from the crowd. And really, this here is the end of his public ministry. And John explains why the crowd and why the Jews at large rejected Jesus, even despite his words and even despite the miraculous signs to show who he was. And the reason that John gives is the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Isaiah. And so John quotes Isaiah in verse 38. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he quotes him again in verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. These two passages from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, respectfully, they demonstrate God's sovereignty, even in the hardening of Israel, the hardening of their hearts for his purposes. And yet, we've talked before how God's sovereignty does not remove man's responsibility. And we can't understand how those things go together. Clearly, from Scripture, they do. And so we see man is responsible and God is sovereign. And I think in this passage too, we also see their responsibility side by side with God's sovereignty because Jesus gave them warning. Jesus said, while you still have the light, walk by the light. He warned them or else the darkness may overcome them. And so in that warning, they were to heed his words, but they didn't. They chose not to. And in verse 40, John says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And in the context here, when he says he saw, Isaiah saw his glory, the context is that he's referring to Christ. Isaiah saw Christ's glory. There in Isaiah chapter 6, when in Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God filled with the glory of God, John is saying that was Christ's glory. And so one, Jesus clearly then is God. And so two, this allows John to rightly tie Isaiah's prophecy about Israel's disbelief to their disbelief in Jesus. And even though Israel at large did not believe, we see this in verses 42 to 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is such a sad insight to the spiritual leaders of Israel. That they knew what was true. They knew who Christ was. But because of fear of what others might think of them, because of losing their position and getting excommunicated from the synagogue, they didn't acknowledge the truth that they knew. In this, we see that they feared man more than they feared God. And so, instead of taking the God-pleasing way, they took the easy way. 
Do we ever do that? No. No, I wish I wish I could say that. I've never been motivated or made decisions based on the fear of man. I wish I could not say that I had feared man more than I feared God. Uh, but I can't say that. And even to my shame, I can't say that even more than I'd want to admit that I can't say it. And it has been something I've needed to repent of. And I suspect that at least at times you too have had to repent of fearing man more than fearing God. And so I think this is just another example to recognize we we need each other, to push each other, to rely on God, to remind each other of the great glory of God and, and living for Him and pleasing Him. Remind each other of the gospel to motivate us to live to please Him and to hold each other accountable. I need your accountability. And so let's, let's do that for each other. We need to forsake the fear of man and live to please God even when it's hard. Trust God for the outcome. Trust God in our circumstance. To fear God and submit to his truth as we walk in the light and not live as if we're still in darkness. And then it would seem that John comes to the point of summing up Jesus' words here on this occasion. Because again, verse 36 tells us Jesus retreated from the crowd. And then John goes on and, and tells us the summation of what Jesus said. And in verses 44 to 45, Jesus makes it very clear that to believe in Jesus, it is to believe in God the Father. No one will be saved with a profession of faith that claims to believe in God apart from Christ. To believe in God, you must believe in Jesus the Son. To come to the Father, you must come through Jesus. And a generic belief, or the infamous statement of, you just need to have faith. Just have faith. It doesn't matter what your faith is in. Just have faith. No, that is a satanic lie. One must come to God through Jesus, or they will not come to God at all. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can't know the Father except through Jesus. We saw that two weeks ago. Jesus makes the Father known. One must come into the light or else they'll remain in darkness. And Jesus is the light. And if we are in the light, if we believe in Jesus, then we are sons of light. And if we're sons of light, we must proclaim the truth, shine our light in the darkness. Because if we are truly sons of light, then we must live in the light. And then Jesus says in verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Darkness is our natural state. In darkness is the condition of the world. And so to be in darkness is to be on the side of the world. It's to be in the the realm and the kingdom of darkness, which is in opposition to Christ, the light, 
and His kingdom of light. But if we truly believe on Christ, if He has saved us, He does not leave us in darkness. He is light, and now all who believe are sons of the light through Him. And therefore, if we leave our darkness and come into the light, obviously we can't stay in darkness. I mean, that's not a logical, I can't leave the darkness and at the same time stay in darkness. That, that's not logical. So we cannot remain the same. There must be a change. So the liar cannot continue in his lifestyle of deceit. The adulterer cannot remain in a life characterized by perversion and lust. Nor the greedy cannot go on in their idolatry. For though we have all been in darkness, and these have been all sins that characterize us, or other sins that have characterized us, we cannot continue. We cannot continue to practice these things in our lives. These things cannot continue to characterize us. And again, as I've said however many times, you know that I'm not saying that this doesn't mean we don't sin. This doesn't mean we don't struggle. But the evidence that we've ever truly repented of our sin is that we continue to repent. That we continue to live putting off the darkness and seeking God in His Word and through prayer and the accountability of the fellowship of believers. Seeking to put away whatever aspect of darkness remains in us that we may walk in the light. Thomas Watson, he said this, It is not falling into water that drowns, but lying in it. It is not falling into sin that damns, but lying in it without repentance. We all still sin. We have not reached that Christ-like perfection yet. And we won't this side of eternity. But when we find ourselves in sin, will we repent of it? Will we turn from it and hate it? If we believe in Jesus, the light, we cannot remain in darkness. And as Jesus gave warning to believe in the light, while he was still there among them, he also gave warning about not heeding his words. On the last day, on the day of judgment, Jesus is the one who will mete out God's judgment. But in his first coming, he came with a saving purpose. Yet nonetheless, those who heard Jesus' words and did not believe, they stood condemned already. Not because Jesus was there judging them, but his very words were judging them. They heard what he said. He gave them the light. He told them what the light was. He called them to believe, and yet they still rejected, even as the light was right there with them. And so none of them would be able to say, I didn't know. No one told me. And really, the truth of the matter is, that all who reject Jesus Christ are condemned already. That's what Scripture tells us. We read that in John earlier in chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Those who reject Jesus 
are already under condemnation. To reject his offer of salvation is to receive his judgment. Because the message Jesus proclaimed was not his own message. It was not just a man speaking a message of a man. But one, he is the God-man, sent from the Father. And the Father sent him and told him to proclaim such a message. And the message that he was commanded to proclaim is a message that results in life for all who believe. It results in eternal life. So my friends, let me ask, have you received Jesus' words? Have you believed in him who is the light and so have come out of your darkness into the light? He calls you out of your darkness. And if you have not come, my friend, I plead with you to understand that the human heart is dark in its natural self. There is no righteousness in ourselves. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. We've all violated God's law and have earned his judgment. But Jesus offered himself in the place of those whom the Father gave him. All those who would trust in him alone for salvation, who receive him and so are children of God, sons of light. He died paying for sin, but he lives as the risen Lord. And as your Lord, he commands that you repent and trust in him alone. Believe in Him. Trust His Word and trust in Him who is the light. Trust in Him who is holy God in the very embodiment of truth. And for all of us who have trusted in Him, we are then called to walk in the light and not remain in darkness. If we remain in darkness, we may find that we have never actually come out of our darkness that we've not truly trusted in Christ, and so remain under condemnation. You know, I I was thinking of this past year and wondering, you know, how how have we done throughout this year, this this year where our schedules got all disrupted and things are all changing? We are home a lot more than we expected to be and even probably wanted to be. And has all of that afforded there to be opportunities to let sin creep in? To let remnants of our darkness come in and take hold and grow and fester in our lives? Have we allowed sin to grow in our lives? Again, remember the sermon series. The whole point is saying, who who is this child? Who is this one that was born? Uh, What are not just the things we want to hold on about him that we specifically like, but the whole point is to see the whole picture of Jesus, that we would submit to the whole person of Christ and all that he is. And if we see here that he is light, though the world lay in darkness, he has come that we may walk in the light that we may know the truth of God and live loving Him, honoring Him, reflecting His light. And really, I do believe, I think New Year's is a great time for us to reflect on how we have failed to truly repent as we should. And so to reflect on the gospel, though that though we have not done as we should, though we are not good, Jesus was good for us. 
Our whole point of coming into the light and putting off sin is not to earn anything from God, but because Jesus has already earned everything for us. It's in response to the salvation that he has given us. That he paid for our sin. And that in Jesus we know the love of God. And if we know the love of God, do we, don't love, do we not love him in return? That we would hate what is an offense against him? And so let us reflect on how we have failed to repent. Let us confess our sin, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us then walk in the light as we believe in him who is the light and pursue holiness, pursue truth, and shine our light in this world as we live for the glory of our God and we proclaim his gospel, calling others to believe in him who is the light, calling others out of their darkness into this marvelous light. Let the light of God mark our lives and everything we do, that Christ would shine through us. Don't remain in darkness, but walk in the light. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visit nvbc.com.